I'm Jimmy Little with a royal telephone. I'm the world champion, 68. Boy, I'm Lionel Rose. I'm William Cooper. I take a stand when no one even knows. I'm the walker, I'm the sounder. The children coming home, boy, I'm groom. I'm March. I'm everything that you ask. I'm everything that you count. I'm the dead heart. Hot, I'm good. I'm March. I'm good. Okay. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me? <laughs> Can everybody hear me? Good morning. My name is Nikki Cumpston. I'm the Artistic Director of Tanandi, And it is my great pleasure to welcome you all here and to acknowledge that we meet today on the lands of the Ghana people. And I'd like to pay my respect to their elders, to the elders past and to the elders of the present and also to the elders of the present who are working so very hard to bring the young people up to be the elders of tomorrow. It's a really tireless, hard job, and I just want to acknowledge that work that sometimes can go you know, without notice. So thank you everyone for coming. I can't tell you how happy I am that this day is finally here. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd just like to acknowledge the work of all of the artists who have actually brought us to this day. And I can't, you know, I, I just, I'm going to stop talking so that you can hear from, from the artists. So we have Clotilde Bullen, who is Senior Curator of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Collections and Exhibitions at the Museum of Contemporary Art Australia in Sydney. And she is going to have a conversation with Carly Dodd, <laughs> Simone Ogogata, Faye, Faye Roses Blanche, Ryan Presley, Aligamalia Baker, Natalie Harkin, and Jacob Baum. And let the party begin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this, oh, this one is working. Kaya, one day, Nonak, Tanandi, Mort, Yan Quirrell, Clotilde, Yan. Kora, Kora Mordboja, Wadandi, Kanyang, Neja, Alaja, Western Australia. Uh, so my name is Clotil Bullen. I just said welcome to the Tanandi family, as we were talking about last night. Um, and I come from Wadandi, Kanyang country, which is in the southwest of Western Australia. I'm Nyungar Yamaji. I'm really grateful to be here on Ghana land, and I pay my respects to Ghana mob elders, past, present, and emerging. Um, it's such a privilege to be here today and to be speaking on the first panel of the day. Um, I just wanted to also acknowledge, as everyone probably will during the day, but um, I think as a curator we understand the hard work and the blood, sweat and tears that goes into actually putting something like this together. Um, not just this panel, but in fact the whole festival. Um, I know lots of people have been thanking you, Nikki, but 
from our perspective as curators, we acknowledge and understand and see the hard work that you do uh, and, and see how difficult that is and the challenges you face and then this incredible thing that you end up coming up with. I know it's not done without a team, but you lead that team. We're very proud of you. We love you very much. You're amazing. <laughs> so let's get on with it because we're here to talk to these incredible people that are on this panel. Um, I guess what I'd first like to do is, um, I won't, we haven't got a lot of time, we've only got around 45 minutes, so I, I think what I'd really like people to be able to do, if they want to acknowledge um, their own mob and who they're connected to, but then perhaps also talk a little bit about some of the works that you'll see across Tunandi. Um, there's performance, there's visual art, there's um, a whole range of things going on. Um, and we might start with... Ryan's not looking at me, so we're going to start with Ryan. He's <laughs> deliberately avoiding my eyes. So, Ryan, good morning. Yeah. Can you... <laughs> this is how it's going to roll today. Yeah. Um, so, Ryan, do you want to talk to us? You've got the incredible blood money terminal and the blood money work that's upstairs as well. And, of course, um, your work was at the MCA, which is where I am a curator. And we had the blood money terminal there, so it was really extraordinary. But maybe let's have a chat about sort of a, a bit about that and a bit about the work, because there was a new work that was created as well, yeah. especially for um, this iteration of Tanandi, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm Ryan Presley, and I did the money work upstairs on the street out the front. And um, so originally from Alice Springs, my family's from Alice Springs Township, but ancestral country up uh, south of Daly River in Northern Territory. And um, so I started looking at money about 10 years ago uh, and this blood money work and looking at uh, sort of as a state icon what it stands for and what it represents essentially Australian economy and where that is derived from um, as Australia is a colonial entity uh, and so all the different meanings that are laid into the monetary design. And then on top of that, the people that are selected for national reverence. So starting out, like looking at people who sort of parallel or diverge from the people that are currently represented on the RBA banknotes. Um, and there's a whole suite of people, but for Tarnandi, uh, I looked at... Uh, uh, Nikki asked about doing a new work for the festival. Uh, so I suggested doing someone, something about someone down here. But I'm not from Adelaide. I'm not really familiar with Adelaide and it, its uh, particular history. Um, so they suggested a few people um, and were very interested in uh, commemorating Uncle Stephen uh, Gadalabadi Goldsmith. Um, so that's one I've done specifically for here. Yeah, yeah and it, I think it's important to note too that, um, you know, in this country, uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people haven't had a lot of economic security and we haven't had the opportunity to um, create our own economic security in monetary terms. We had words for currency, what we'd call currency. My, in my language, it's boya. Um, but that was about an exchange. It wasn't about this sort of individualistic idea of having money that you, you, you do exchange for other things, but it's, it comes from a different paradigm. Um, and so it was, I think, super important to actually 
have Aboriginal faces and particularly Aboriginal warriors and people who are significant and important on those bills because you're not just talking about that sort of capitalistic exchange. We're actually really like... It's, a, it's, a, it's almost a political act in placing those people on there. Yeah, so... Um, and historically, uh, cultures with cash and money, uh, it's used to... Um, it's uh, put into a society to pay soldiers, so it has a strong connection with warfare and violence. Uh, cash exchanges. Uh, often used in societies that are unstable uh, throughout history. So people don't trust each other, they don't have long-term relationships with each other, they use money as a tool for a quick commodity exchange. Uh, so I thought on that front as well, it's like when I first started doing this series, uh, I put a lot of um, uh, resistance uh, heroes um, on there, uh, like Wallio from Tasmania and Bemaway and Pemaway from Sydney region. And Fanny Balwa. And Fanny Balwa, yeah. Yeah, and female resistance warrior, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, th this idea of exchange transfers to the blood money terminal as well. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Um, you had some, I don't know whether you want to share the news of last night as well, and, and that was pretty exciting, what happened last night. Um, yeah, so I like the idea of like, I had the, the old works where I'd done um, the numerical denominations um, and I've since moved away from that but one way of still using um, that old material was to create the small prints of them on nanofilm um, and to have a cash exchange modelled on like a travelex because I like that idea of like a territory influx or like... Uh, cash exchange when you're entering a new territory so I like the idea of exchanging Australian money into a more sovereign currency um, and oh yeah so um, it's moved around Australia in different cities and um, I think last night I wasn't sure what the reception would be I don't I have never been to a Thailand before but um, last night we got over 10 grand Australian money. $10,000. So, pretty good. Um, so, before that, before now, it's raised over 52000 and um, and all that money um, goes to community organisations. So, a lot of it's gone to the Gap Youth Centre in Alice Springs, which my family has had a long uh, um, interaction with. And there's Southside Education in Brisbane, which um, uh, does really great work with helping um, young women and girls finish their high school who've been like through the justice system and stuff like that. Um, so here, uh, it, all the money that comes through the booth will go to the um, Ghana Language Centre um, that Uncle Stephen helped um, establish. And, um, and then the other half will go to Sejuna Youth Hub in Sejuna, yeah. So I think um, what we, you know, what I hear and what we see there is um, uh, art that is sort of action, I guess, um, achieving outcomes that are, are, are social and economic outcomes that supports that, uh, which is incredible. Um, 
talking about another, we'll move on to, I'm not, not going on to you yet, Jake, don't look at me, it's all right. Um, we, <laughs> I'm talking about another form of exchange. Um, the Unbound Collective, uh, a wonderful collective whom I've worked closely with previously and who are on our panel today. Um, they were, they, w I had the privilege of working with all of you uh, for the National recently, this year. Um, and the work that we undertook uh, is continued in its last format um, for this Tunandi, which is um, a happy occasion and also an incredibly sad occasion in a lot of ways. Do you guys want to talk about, because so much of your work also operates on this idea of exchange um, as well. Thanks, Chloe. Um, my name's Ali and um, I want to acknowledge beautiful Ghana country where I've grown up and also live and work. Um, my family from the west coast of South Australia, so we're Murning, and my nan was born at a place called Fowler's Bay. And I think Ryan's just spent... He, I saw some photos that he'd posted online. I haven't been across there for a long time, but I want to acknowledge um, our families. Yeah, so our work... Um, began in 2014 collectively and we've done a series of works called uh, it started off bound and bound, bound and unbound sovereign acts um, decolonizing methodologies of the lived and spoken and it was really kind of thinking about um, working in institutions so we work in the university and how knowledge about Aboriginal people is taught within a university how we have been institutionalised as Aboriginal peoples and what are the ideas that bind us and, you know, and what are the ideas that could possibly set us free. And, you know, they're big philosophical questions. So the work has been considering uh, being inside and outside of spaces and what does it mean to be in between institutional spaces and particularly in relation to our family archives and I'll let Nat talk a little bit. I, I guess also I wanted to relate it to the unpaid labour because my one of my Nana's older sisters uh, was a, a domestic who worked in Norwood in Adelaide for the policeman for 40 years without a wage and I guess when I pulled that record out of the, the South Australian state records um, the kind of uh, indentured and unpaid labour of our old people and the intergenerational impacts of that are profound. And I think, you know, it relates to blood money, relates to sovereignty, relates to all of these ideas. Nat, do you want to talk a little bit more about the records or...? Yep. Hi everyone, my name's Natalie, um, my family are Chesters, um, we've got a three mission history which is really typical for Aboriginal people in South Australia from Penindi Mission over in the west coast to Raukin, um, was Point Maclay but Raukin um, and then forcibly moved to Point Pierce um, over on Narunga country and we identify as Narunga because that's where a lot of our family um, really uh, settled and it's where our cemeteries are, where our graves are. It's where my nana grew up and where she called home. 
um, and I guess part of my um, contribution and uh, lots of the conversations, which are shared conversations, and there's a lot of overlap in all of our histories, is looking at those colonial histories and the impacts of um, the state on our families um, right from first contact and how our families were really, um, and this is not new to so many people in the audience, but how our families were controlled and contained and archived in very particular ways, in racialized and gendered ways. So a lot of our work is really interested in those intersections between um, gender, race, class, oppression, and, and how we create into that. Um, my main medium, and I guess a lot of what I do with the collective, is poetry. Um, and it just feels like a really natural um, and potent way to respond to some of these histories, and particularly the archives. So an archival poetic um, intervention, I guess, through our artwork, using archives, the colonial state archives, but also the, the archives that we carry with us and that are embodied um, and that we carry with us every day and that we all carry our own family archives. This, this idea of blood memory and haunting really informs and shapes um, the thinking around um, my contributions. So we use a lot of archival material, but it's not just state record archives. It's also those archives that are that blood memory that shapes us and how we respond poetically to those histories and how that kind of interjects through an artistic way to share these really, um, I guess, histories of horror and oppression but also survival and resilience and refusal and all those really strong, amazing stories that we carry with us. That's Lynette Allen. So, hi, my name's Simone Alcatur. Um, and I'm from the Yungunjada community. I do want to acknowledge too that I am sitting on the land of the Ghana people. Um, I'd also like to acknowledge um, some key women in my life, including the Unbound Collective, but particularly my late mother, Molinga Jingiji, too, and Andagarinya, Yungunjada elder who's gone now. Um, but also many women who taught me from the Kupapiti Konkojura and Kupapiti, um, with Kupapiti, Konka woman, many women from Kupapiti particularly in relation to the um, anti-nuclear campaigning and the Eridewanti campaign um, to stop the poison, to stop nuclear waste repository in our country. So these are women that have taught me throughout my life, including my late Gummy Inawanji, who was a Ngangari as well, an Aboriginal healer. Um, so I want to acknowledge all them because I wouldn't be sitting here without all that strength behind me but also with the collective. And it is sad that the collective... It is sad. It's our last Sovereign Act, but it doesn't mean the Unbound Collective is finished. It's just the end of the Sovereign Act component. So we will continue in different ways in the, into the future. Um, but we felt we'd done our Sovereign Acts and we're ready to move from that point. <laughs> um, so my particular contribution to the work um, has been through, through song and also performance and... I need to also acknowledge my undal, my daughter, Caitlin Inawanji, who's our violinist, um, who um, worked with the collective in relation to <coughs> composing some of my late mother's poems into song. And um, we did that through me singing it as her daughter. But um, my undal, my niece, um, Caitlin, composing music to... Um, 
the poems as well for the violin competition to her grandmother's poems. So it was really about honouring the intergenerational knowledge um, out of country as well. I live out of country, but I go back up to Udnadatta. My mother was born 100 k's from Udnadatta in a place called Hamilton Cattle Station in the 1930s. Um, she lived in a dry creek bed, um, in a camp, in a gunko, in a water. And um, so I have a strong connection to Udnadatta and my... That is where that inspiration comes from for me as well. But I'm also an educator and as Ali mentioned, the four of us are academics at Flinders University. So we teach um, students about Indigenous histories and knowledges. And in fact, we use your work, Ryan, in our teaching. So I feel really happy now. Um, um, and, and so it's about um, what, what the strength of the collective has been for me is about being able to share some stories that can be really hard to tell, but when we share the weight of those colonial histories, we can move lighter through the world. And in a sense, our work is very gentle but very pointed as well. And um, we've had many iterations and we couldn't help ourselves either. We made a, some new, new works to some old pieces of work that we have as well. But um, that's a bit about myself. Um, yeah. And you should Hi probably everybody. mention when you're... Um, because your show is opening on Saturday at the Migration Museum just over here and I had a sneak peek before and um, I urge you all to go over and have a look at it. It's, um, it is what, exactly what I would expect from you, which is love in action and that kind of quiet resistance um, with, with, it, with, with basically with holistic culture, with song and with story and, and with narrative. So, Faye... I think you said it all, Chloe. <laughs> Hi, I'm Faye Roses Blanche. I like to acknowledge I'm in Ghana country. I've been here for about 30-something years. I'm a rainforest girl from the Atherton Tablelands, Yidinji Mbabram, so a um, bit dry down here. Um, <laughs> and, I, and, and I sneeze a lot, so forgive me if I suddenly sneeze while I'm speaking. But um, I, guess, I, I guess the thing that I could probably say about um, the Unbound stuff is the the intimacy, the... I'm, I'm trying to do... Well, I am doing a PhD on um, colonial intimacies, but I, I think the intimacy of co um, coloniality is a better title because I think what we do is disrupt a lot of the actual discourse around our bodies but also around our skin. And so what I find really interesting is that um, we are quite... Um, as we're sort of, s we not only work together, but we're very close in the way we think about things, the way we talk about things. So I'm probably one of those people that come in last, but these sisters do some really great work. And I kind of come in and put the put other stuff on. I'm, I was thinking today, I was thinking, oh, well, I'm the one that can actually bring the bucket of water, or <laughs> I'm the one that can, even though, even though I do have, you know, some poetry and some some words and some stories. Um, and we all do that, but, but sometimes it's nice to just have that one that comes in and, you know, rushes over to Sydney with Simone and puts on some branches on the thing and <laughs> tell people what to do. So, and also... I think you I do a little bit more than that, though. Yeah, I know. Okay. I know. <laughs> I know, but I, was, I said to Ali, I said, what, what did I do? What did I contribute? <laughs> so I had to think for a while. But I'm also um, a bit simple, if you you know, like as in cracked, like us Murrays say cracked. 
I like to make people laugh, so <laughs> I'm kind of one of those. <laughs> um, um, I guess also the idea of intimacy is something... I was actually thinking about Ryan's work and I just realised who it was because I met Ryan in, in Brisbane when we went to Brisbane and, and we kind of were so excited to see the idea of money. And part of also thinking through intimacy and the intimacy of coloniality is the idea that mathematics, and we don't think about ourselves in a mathematical way. And I think the idea, you know, when you talk about the economy, when you talk about the way you do your money, I'm instantly thinking um, it's money, Western money, that's made um, Indigenous peoples um, a commodity in a way, if that makes sense. And so our bodies, through a process of dehumanisation, actually became a commodity for um, pastoralists and for domestic people and for, you know, high-class people in, in metropolitan areas. And, and when we talk about domestic service, I think it's such, a, um, such an important thing to think about. And also, um, I'm probably going to get a bit... We talk about haunting, but I also think the idea of genocide is never discussed in the Australian context. And I think that's really interesting because we look outside of the country and we see everything happening in the other parts of the world and we say that's genocide. We can say the word genocide, but we never really think about it as a mathematical, um, a mathematical process. And I think that's something that we might think about it in our next performance, maybe. I don't know. I'm just dropping it out there. <laughs> and we also refuse. So we like the idea of not only resistance, but we refuse... And that's a good thing to do when you're a Murray. You just go, nah, don't want to do it. Nah. <laughs> you know, it's like that. <laughs> Thank you. There's pay. <laughs> <laughs> um, in talking about uh, commodification, I suppose, that brings me to Carly's uh, work and some of the things that I was thinking about when I came and visited you at the mill, because you're at the mill at the moment doing uh, in that space doing some work and particularly work as it relates to sports people aboriginal sports people and there is this whole world of commodification around that as well so if you'd like to have a yarn about your work that'd be great <laughs> this is uh, carly's first time on the panel by the way so please yes. be very <laughs> kind and support her thanks um yes i'm carly um my background is in ghana Narunga and mananjari um, so yeah, the exhibition is about sport, um, and I chose that topic because I, well, I used to play sport a lot when I was younger, um, and a main, like a big inspiration for the exhibition um, is my brother, Travis Dodd, who plays soccer, I don't know if you know him, but yeah, and my dad, and also Adam Goods, and that whole thing, yeah, <laughs> that whole thing that went on um, was a big inspiration, um, and yeah, looking at how Aboriginal people are treated in sport and also how they're kind of treated outside sport as well. Um, one of the artists that I'm looking at, not artist, um, one of the sports, sports that I'm looking at, um, Eddie Gilbert, um, he uh, was a uh, cricket player like in the 30s. Um, he played for Brisbane. Um, and, yeah, back then racism was kind of, uh, you know, very high. <laughs> Um, and outside of cricket, he wasn't seen as as a human. But when he played cricket, he was more of a human than 
outside and yeah just looking at the treatment that he got outside of playing cricket and treatment I got playing sport um, is quite interesting to compare there's a uh, uh, there's been lots of um, work done in this area, particularly with AFL and with um, football players. Uh, there's been lots of research done on sort of the transition of football players and how sport has given uh, those people and then their communities a huge amount of acceptance. It's it's um, interesting and good to investigate why that is the case, why there wasn't acceptance without the sport component, I guess, and that's what some of your work is sort of looking at. Um, so yeah, there's so yeah, with um, uh, Eddie Gilbert, um, just like the treatment that he got um, when they would play like interstate, um, his teammates would all like they would all stay in like hotels and motels that sort of thing. But he would have to sleep in a tent outside. He wasn't, I don't know, he wasn't considered. He wasn't on the same level as them, which is disgusting. Um, and yeah, <laughs> and so your work um, weaves in. It's in when I was looking at your work, I was thinking, you know, there's weavings, there's sort of sculptural weavings that you've made, <coughs> and you've. Um, I've also got a croaky voice from this the pollen that's going around. It's terrible. <coughs> so excuse me. Um, and I, I had a look at the tennis racket that you woven into, and you've woven a trophy as well, um, and. It's my, and the sense that I got from that is that we're what you're trying to do is to bring these components together, the humanity of a sports person who has some amazing skills but also carries their culture on their back with them all the time. Is that something that you think when you're making that work? Yeah, definitely. I wanted to, uh, yeah, show that, you know, although they, you know, they're, you know, all the sports people I'm looking at, they're great, you know, people and they've done, so they've had such great achievements um, also bringing, yeah, c like cultural and like traditional elements into that as well, um, just to show a different side um, of their success, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think um, often uh, sports people are not, it's certainly changing, but in this country, sports people, Aboriginal sports persons have not been um, well supported to come away from their own communities and to actually be in sporting places where it's, it is a commodification and you were, it's very highly regimented and you're with a whole bunch of people that you don't know and it's, and you know, money is a big part of that. It seems to be a weird theme that's <laughs> emerging actually out of this panel, but money is a huge part of that and, it, and it is, it's really difficult for people to survive and to actually, um, you know, continue to practice culture within those spaces. So I find your work very interesting for that reason. Um, we were, you mentioned Nat before about blood money and that is a nice segue to Jacob um, in talking about your performative work and also I think people might want to hear about the fire talks as well, Jake. Oh yes, um, oh. <laughs> uh, thanks Chloe. Nina Marni, Namai Jacob Bowen, I'm a Ghana Naranga man but live and work on Kulin country in Melbourne. So I have the fortune to have been asked by Nikki to come and present a solo show called Blood on the Dance Floor here um, in December over at Tandanya. It is a, a solo dance visual theatre piece. Um, 
I suppose the essence of it is really it's a love story. It's a love poem to um, my family, my my grandmother who was um, born in Point Pierce, given exemption, and then at the age of 17 thrown out of Point Pierce and then had to try and survive as a black woman in the city um, in, of Adelaide. And then a love poem to my dad who was a, um, uh, a brown-skinned nunga trying to make his way in the world with a uh, mixed-race identity and looking, you know, just wanting to be loved and, and love in return. And then thirdly, bringing my story into it, uh, a fair-skinned nunga who has been living with HIV now for 21 years. So I have a virus in my body who is kind of like a coloniser. It colonises your cells and it tries to take over your DNA, um, which looks at what I was looking at when I was making this work was blood memory and DNA memory. And all of the kind of... They say that we have... You know, all of our intergenerational trauma is already coded in our DNA. And my, my hypothesis or my question was, if that's the case, then so too must be resilience, hope and brilliance. Um, <laughs> so that's pretty much what forms the work. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's the work, because I don't know if you know, but, you know, Australia's been dealing with um, the HIV virus now since the early 80s. We, as Aboriginal people, have also been dealing with that since the 80s, but we've been shut out of the conversation. We've been shut out of the HIV services, um, which is why we are now seeing, while we have um, the Kirby Institute and all the other kind of HIV services around Australia going, yay, the end of HIV in Oz. It's not so for us. We've actually got an epidemic on the rise that is reminiscent of the 80s. And it's happening in mostly um, uh, our women now is, is the new spike group that they've identified since 2016 and not one bastard has done a thing. Anyway. <laughs> it's about love. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, that's the, that's the show. It goes through three generations and... Um, I had a wonderful team that I worked on, uh, Noongar director Isaac Grandich, um, uh, Bunjalung choreographer Maria Randall, um, uh, Yorta Yorta uh, man James Henry did the sound design, so really a bunch of deadly uh, Indigenous artists that created the work. I'm also here as of tomorrow um, through till next week doing fire talk. So if we all meet over there in the, in the, near the information desk at around three o'clock, it's um, go see a piece of work. And it's um, a facilitated uh, conversation. I ask you five questions um, around what your experience of that work is. It goes beyond thumbs up, thumbs down, did you like it, didn't you like it? We go into what it evokes for you and we start to create not only individual connections, but shared meaning together as a group. Yeah, I think that's, um, it's a really, I think that's wonderful that the fire talks are going to happen and that you as the audience are being challenged and being asked to engage on a, on a far deeper level. When you're sitting here and we, you're listening to everyone that's on this panel, the, the, the work that they're talking about, the, the performances, the, they, they anything that they're engaging with, it takes a great deal of courage to actually continue to revisit trauma, to 
um, consider archives, to speak about personal challenges, to um, talk about things that are personal for your family, um, in terms of sport, in terms, you know, all of those things. So I, so I guess, you know, whatever, what I think we would all love you to be able to do is to actually go a little bit deeper and to not just sort of um, go to the talks and kind of go, that's really nice and get a feel-good kind of thing from that. Because, you know, part of the challenge of Tunandi, as being part of the Tunandi family, I think, is to accept that you are now a co-conspirator, you are now a change agent, you are now someone who can really engage with this work engage with how that makes you feel, whether it makes you feel, you know, sad or guilty or angry or whatever whatever it is, and go a little bit um, deeper into the work. Because the people that are sitting on this panel are people who have spent their lives being forced to engage with these narratives and these stories. Um, and, I, and as a curator, I certainly take my hat off to any artist I work with, because I certainly wouldn't have the courage to be able to do that. I don't know how you'd be an artist curator, Nikki, that's, that's tricky. <laughs> Um, but I wanted to, um, I guess, ask too, in terms of the performative sort of aspects of all of your work, because there is performative aspects to it, I mean, how, how important is that in, in terms of being able to progress that narrative? Like, what do you, you want to see sort of happening with it in the next sort of short amount of time and also long amount of time? And, and it, it's up for anyone. Jump in. I guess for the Unbound Collective, we've... Um, had a performative element to most of our um, exhibition performances. And I guess one of the things that we've really done is actually be quite site-specific. <coughs> so we've thought really deeply about the location that we're performing on. Um, when we were in at MCA, we met with the Gadigal community. So it was about really honouring um, the traditional owners of that country and in considering deeply our engagement with that site, whether we've lived in that site or whether there are common narratives and stories um, and experiences as Aboriginal people. Um, but also, in a sense, our, for me, the performance is also a celebration of our Aboriginal bodies because I actually think we have beautiful Aboriginal bodies, but we've been told often that we don't. So, and if that is the thing that people can see in our performance, to me that's a really critical, critical thread. Um, but it's also... Um, the performance is also about honouring the gifts that we all bring as individual and collective artists because... Gee, we come from long-held philosophy and brilliance, as you've mentioned, and so then also about projecting that within um, our public performances. Yeah, because, I, like, I mean, Jake, that's part of, you know, what you sort of do as well, I think. There's that personal aspect that comes out. It's a long-term goal. It's working through some of your own stuff as well. Yeah, I think... Um going into the process of, of this work was probably the best therapy I could ever have done. <laughs> um, because, you know, I'd been living with HIV for 15 years up until I decided to make this work. Um, that it completely, like in looking into DNA and blood memory and epigenetic study and, and everywhere that, you know, making this work, the research and the, the kind of digging I had to do, not only within myself but in my family histories, um, that, yeah, it's kind of probably the best form of, of transformation that, that we can undertake as humans in, in our work as artists. Um, in terms of where the performance or, or, or our performance in general can go, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's happening in, in the world of Indigenous performance um, in terms of, you know, becoming a little bit more self-determined and... Sovereign, but we're still we're still kind of not there yet. 
um, what I would love to see is more Indigenous managed, um, not only venues, like the equity in, in where we can go so that we're not at the mercy of, of non-Indigenous artistic directors and curators to allow us to come into the venues or the institutions, but also to look at where are we as Indigenous performers making work outside of European houses of culture, because these are foreign to us. Um, they're, they're not what our performance tradition comes from and that's what I'd like to see a lot more of you know like you're talking about site specific I'd like to see more of us responding to to country rather than responding to the black box that we're so often asked to do I think um, part the, the other part to that equation is the kind of visibility um, or I information visibility that you know Ryan and Carly for example put um, forward in their work because so much of that is about actually telling stories that have not been told bes before making it really visible, challenging people with that. Is that something that, you know, has been the motivation for you, Carly and, and Ryan? Yeah, I mean, um, when I was at one of the booth, exchange booth within Sydney, the RBA came and bought, Reserve Bank came and bought a full <laughs> set <coughs> for their collection, you know? And that was like, what? <laughs> um, when I first started doing them like 10, doing the paintings 10, 10 years ago, I thought they'd be more likely to give me some sort of cease and desist or <laughs> sue me or something. Um, uh, so, and the response from the works um, has, been, has been good over the years. So I think there's like an appetite for this sort of information to be accessible in these sorts of ways. So, I mean, I'd like to make like a educational um, book sort of resource with all the works and full uh, explanations. And I think everyone wants you to do that, don't they? Uh, Can you hurry up and do it? At some point, yeah. <laughs> um, we have uh, got a very short amount of time to go. So Carly, I might leave you with the last word um, in, our, in our panel discussion. Um, so yeah, definitely like in the exhibition that I'm um, working towards, I definitely wanted to look at people that haven't been recognised, um, mainly kind of, like Adam Goods is, you know, he's, he's like a hero now, but a lot of other players like, you know, in their 30s, 40s, 50s, haven't really been as rec recognised as much as people today. So I definitely wanted to highlight um, those people and just, you know, and their stories as well about racism and I think, like, people my age, they're, like, they're very accepting, but there are still people out there that aren't so accepting. So I wanted to kind of ease the conversation into that as well about racism. Because um, I feel like sport's such a big topic in Australia. And, um, yes, yeah, so that's why I wanted to... I don't know, there's a lot of people have opinions about sport um, and racism as well. And I feel like bringing sport into that and connecting it to racism was just a little segue to it. Because um, when you talk about racism, people, I feel like most people just kind of shut down and just pretend that it doesn't exist. And with sport, you know, like most people have a favourite team in, in something and having showcasing someone that plays, you know, for a sport that someone likes and, sh and sharing their story 
I feel like just opens up the, the conversation about racism a bit more than if you just say, oh, like, let's talk about racism a bit. Yeah. Thank you so much. Here's to representing ourselves and being seen. Um, I'd like you all to thank our wonderful panel for this morning. I hope you've enjoyed it and please stay for the next two.